This episode is brought to you by Happy High Achiever. Have you recently hit difficult workplace hurdles despite a resume that seems enviable from the outside? It's hard to be happy in life when we're unhappy in our careers, and those of us who constantly compete with ourselves to be better, whose pride and very identities are inextricably tied to achieving, feel it particularly hard when work stops going well. Who are we if we're not living up to our expectations for ourselves? If this scenario resonates with you, Happy High Achiever is here to help. HHA's founder, Courtney Bryan, started the company to provide support and resources for high-achieving employees who hit significant professional obstacles, often for the first time. Interested? Check out happyhighachiever.com slash upzones. To learn more, join the newsletter, and access a special Friends of the Pod rate on coaching packages. Our sponsor is Happy High Achiever, and this is Upzones. You have to elect yourself, Jamie. Things are changing. Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You elect yourself. Things are changing. You elect yourself. You elect yourself. Sometimes life is pretty full. And uh, sometimes life throws a bunch of curveballs at you. It's been an interesting year for me. I um, Listeners know that I, I got married this year, which is still the best decision I've ever made. Um, I've also had two separate grandparents with whom I was very close over many years of my youth pass away about a year apart. Opposite sides of the family, but uh, so not, not married to each other, but still pretty impactful to me. And I uh, just came back from New York, a city that I will not bore you with, comparing to Seattle uh, for a very interesting weekend. You, know, you, 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 we had this plan. We were going to surprise my, my dad for his 60th birthday surprise party. My, Michelle and I were going to fly back. And this week we found out that my grandmother, his mother, passed away. So this is like in the grit you know it's one of those um family moments that makes you realize that sometimes living out here in seattle can be pretty rough not because of the city but just you know we are a city of transplants and i've been here years many years now but my roots are still back east and it's just uh yeah it, it, it can be sometimes you can feel really displaced and the only thing i can say and not to sound trite about it or anything but the one thing that it does encourage me to do is make this a better place for folks who are for folks who are uh, you know kind of here without the the roots that uh, maybe some have I think a lot of the challenges that we deal with here in Seattle are are very much about creating like a, a a place you know a place to be with or without roots for folks who maybe don't have it. And eh, maybe some folks who have the roots and who have the place to be, uh, who maybe don't um, necessarily understand or completely comprehend how much you lose when you step out of that. And I would say that, um, you know, we're all in this together, man. We're not, no one's doing this alone. And so if you're out here in Seattle and you're, 
struggling to make it, whether you are literally putting two nickels together or whether you're a wealthy tech, you know, coder, MBA type, but your family's back in India or whatever it is, um, we got we to gotta work together to make this work for everybody. The guest today, Gabriel Bello Diaz, is pretty cool. We had a great conversation. We just kind of hit it off about a couple commonalities that we had. And, uh, well, on the East Coast thread, I will call out that he did mention the phrase East Coast grind, and I think it's a real thing. Uh, life is just different uh, with respect to how work and the like are treated here. That's a whole other topic, but I, I really enjoyed speaking with him. Um, he is an educator, he's an artist, he's a designer, he is, in his own way, quite an activist, and he's been all around the world, man, Barcelona, London, the Carolinas, someone who has a lot to offer the Seattle community, especially when it comes to how design and maker spaces can be retrofit for youth and communities of color. And he's just fun to talk to, man. He seems like the kind of guy you might want to grab a beer with. Gabriel Bello Diaz. I got two people because guess what? It was against the Seahawks opener this year, and I didn't even think about it. So I, I have that mapped out now. Yeah, well, um, especially where you live, right? Yeah, I have to. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course. Did you grow up here? I did not. I grew up all over the place. I was born in London. Um, then moved to North Carolina, stood there for like a year or two, okay. and then I grew up mostly in New Jersey, right outside of Philly. Oh, okay. I'm, I went to school in, in Philly, in oh. New Jersey and Philly. Oh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so. Yeah, I grew up football. in Camden. Okay. Right um, so yeah, I was there for quite some time. Yeah. Right on. So when did you come here? After my gallivanting in Europe. Yeah. So I left, um, I left Jersey, went to Boston for my undergrad, okay. um, and then I started a business there. Sold that business, went to it Germany. It seems like you've done a bunch of that, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially like right now, like even a week ago, I just secured a new space in Pioneer Square to like start a whole situation there, which is interesting. Um, but that'll be more or less like an experimental artist collective mm -hmm. event space, stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm just kind of like corralling people for that right now. Interesting. Sure well, that goes off with a hit. I don't know how many of them I got on my list. My listenership is... Excuse pretty young professional, but maybe there's some secret experimental artists out there. So yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll put the APB out for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that space is going to be is pretty interesting. Like, it's it's pretty modular in a way where we'll have events there, some, some dinner events there, mm -hmm. some nice talks there, some private music shows there. Um, there'll be some live painting for the most part happening there. There's a, a writer's sort of group that wants to run out the space for like just not like lounging coming together doing mm -hmm. some writing sessions mm -hmm. and i'll have my studio up there as well and that's down in uh in, in pioneer, pioneer square. square yeah wow on first avenue yeah um i want to talk a little bit about europe what did you what did you do in europe <laughs> <laughs> in europe in europe so i was in germany for a couple of years i was doing some of the same work i was doing in boston which was uh some freelance drafting work um my background was in architecture engineering and then while I was doing that, I got my first master's in sustainability and design at University of East London. But I was kind of going back and forth between London and Germany. Were you in Berlin? Uh, I was in Frankfurt. Okay. Um, Interesting. 
yeah, I was only supposed to be there for like two weeks. And then in the two weeks I was visiting my friend, she like hooked me up with these architects and they were like, your work is awesome. Like you're, you're busting it out pretty fast and you know, like all the software we need you to know. Right. Um, it's so, funny how important that is yeah. in the industry, the software piece. Oh yeah. yeah. That's like, that's crucial. Yeah. And I, I have a nice, like long list of softwares I use. So yeah. That became um, really handy. So I was doing that work. I was still kind of bored with architecture and I was doing a lot of architecture competitions. Mm -hmm. um, and then I found a school in Barcelona that talked about, you know, robotics and 3D printing and stuff. I had when no this? idea. This was... Uh, maybe eight years ago. Yeah. So it's, um, 3D printing was just... It was barely like... out. Yeah. Like yeah. There, was, there was like maybe like, you know, maybe one makerspace in America at that mm -hmm, time. Mm -hmm. um, but I learned how to like build and put 3D printers together. And um, oh. I was using a fab lab out there. And so I started teaching. And that's what got me into teaching. This was in Barcelona. That was in Barcelona. You know, we have on this show... Barcelona comes up every time, man. It comes up so much. It, it's such a well-designed city. It's It has a lot of history of just a lot of um, urban planning that is, I think, authentic to the the movement and sort of the needs of the city mm -hmm. instead of um, coming at it from sort of a top-down perspective yeah. of, like, this is what we should do. Yeah. Um, I really feel like there's a different approach of collecting, um, you know, just microdata of the city that allows better decision-making to happen uh, when it comes to urban planning. Interesting. Um, one of the projects that I did in Barcelona was um, it was the Smart Citizen Kit, and that was a sensor that was deployed throughout the city to collect environmental data, which was really interesting because the city was able to use that data um, to be more um, direct on how they wanted to do some rehabilitation of, like, parks. So, like, oh. we collected, like, you know, um, air quality on a couple of different parks and from that they were like oh well the co2 no2 um, sort of levels here are a little bit different so let's um, find some intervention for that let's adjust accordingly yeah exactly. wow that's cool man. um there was also a noise uh a noise level that was a part of that kit that um allowed them to because barcelona's like a 24-hour city but there's a lot of complaints that go through policing just for noise complaints um, so before that becomes an issue, they'll see where there's like spiked levels of noise and kind of go there and just, you know, try to, um, either break up. Cause usually that's like someone playing guitar outside, a group of people having a beer on the sidewalk, whatever it is. Um, and, and they'll send police, but it's, it's not responding to a call. So then they have a little more freedom to, to just, just sort say, of hey, break it just... up. And then like before it becomes an issue. Kind yeah. Of thing. Got you. Um, Very interesting. Yeah. So Why don't we do really that here? Cool. Um, you know, I, when I first came here, I tried, um, one of my first approaches was to use that kit specifically for monitoring beehives. Cause that's something that, um, that project was sort of like starting to take on. Oh, so you're trying um, to like wear unwanted beehives, like, uh, exactly. fill an attic or something like or that. Or even like purposeful. I mean, like we were talking to, um, the West Seattle bee. So they're in West Seattle. I forget what the name of the bee was. guys, um, but the bee guys in yeah, West Seattle bee guys. and a big thing mostly because I was new here was like trying to get funding for that kind of project. And then when I came here, uh, my intention was to start a makerspace or fab lab. But um, as we started doing that, I got approached by public school Then I got lopped into public school teaching. So I ran an engineering program for middle school, high yeah, school. Yeah. I want to talk um, about that a little bit too. Yeah. TAF was great. Like that was a way that I could really take really what I wanted to do and be more intentional and impactful. Mm -hmm. So I created pretty much like this fab lab inside of the school and I was teaching like, you know, industrial design to sixth graders and how do you, you know, market your, you know, your design, your product, how do you build a website, 
What is your, you know, do your they, presentation look like for your product? Does a sixth grader sponge that up or is there like a resistance because it's... So no, they love it. I mean, like I had, you know, I was, especially my last year teaching, you know, I had kids that were um, a lot of more like behavior problems. I had kids that were autistic in my classroom mm -hmm. all mixed in. Mm -hmm. And I feel like my classroom, I never had behavior problems because everyone was so Doing passionately attached yeah. to their project. So yeah. it's like... You're coming in here and not necessarily like learning what I'm telling you to learn, but it's like I wouldn't learn how to do this that I want to make. Right. And for me, it was simple. Like the standards for the engineering classroom was like, you know, prototype, learn from it, do another one. Yeah. Right. Like what do you, like what are you right. like what are you learning from that? And a lot of that was around like ergonomics, a lot mm -hmm. of measurements, a lot of 3D modeling, stuff like that. And these kids are doing it. Uh, yeah, no it was problem. easy for them. And yeah. for me, it wasn't like here, do this boring piece of furniture or do this like, you right. know, thing that everyone's gonna do. Right. But in some cases it was like that. Like seventh grade, they got to design lamps. But they might want by, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But like they got to design the lamp however they want to. Mm -hmm. So like one, you know, group did a lamp inspired by the group's constellation of their zodiac signs. So they made like these like star patterns and designed this lamp where the one the light shone, you could see the constellations. Constellation, that's great. Um, it was really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So projects like that with sixth graders, we do like gaming design. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do you take a digital game? What was the? That was a war one. Well, you got Warcraft. It was like more low level than that. Oh, really blocky. Anyway, so like they were inspired by one of those games and created like this big board game. Mm -hmm. um, and then the prototyping was like, we'll play the game. And some of it was like these little like cannons that like shot and like had to like break apart whatever. Oh, did you have Angry Birds? It was almost it was like Angry like Birds. That. It was like Angry Birds, but like on each side there were like castles that like yeah. each of the teams had to like knock down. That's amazing. And so yeah, um, so they're playing the game, find the holes, the flaws in the game. Exactly. Like, yeah. So like, what is the best like ammo to use? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the best distance? If we're mm -hmm. gonna 3D print the catapult, like what is like. You know, how big should that be? How big should the board game be mm -hmm. um, to allow for, like, you know, that kind of, like, fun, did like, they, uh, the launching and things like that? This is probably down a rabbit hole, but did, did the kids get into, like, the difference between making ideal gameplay versus trying to win? You know um, what I'm saying? Like for them, I think it was more like ideal gameplay, which is of course what um, you want, right? You yeah. want them thinking that way because they makers. were more about like, what does this look like for us to continue having fun playing the game? What is the experience of the game? Um, so that led to a lot of curriculum around, you know, intentional design, um, human centered design, stuff like that. There were like high level thinking concepts, but I was able to break them down into a simple board game. Yeah, board game. Um, but as long as they can start getting those concepts. So like as they grow through the program, like in eighth grade, we sort of jump scale and like the, the theme in eighth grade is architecture urban planning. Mm -hmm. So like how do we use engineering as a way to create solutions within our city? So a lot of that, they talked about um, designing houses for the homeless, which we were actually able to do. Mm -hmm. That was something that grew into the after-school program that we built, um, a house for the homeless, which is now in the Georgetown camp. Wow. And then the year after that, I went to go visit visit the camp. Um, the kids got to see like someone living in the house that they built. Yeah, we'll throw that up on um, the post if you if you can send me a link. To that. Yeah, That's for sure. Um, fucking awesome, man. Yeah, King Five like covered it a little bit too because we were in this competition that we were up against like colleges and vocational schools and here yeah. we are like I snuck like two middle school because it's only for like high school. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like snuck like these two middle school girls because like they were like part of the lead of the project. Yeah. Like they were doing a lot of the interior designing and they were like really passionate about it. So I was like, yeah, you guys are coming on a field trip for sure. Just be back here. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this, talking about childhood. and yeah. You grew up in London, or at least you were born in London. I was um, born in London. I mostly grew up in, 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 North Carolina. in, uh, in New Jersey. Oh, New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. 
so Gabriel Bello, is that like an Italian situation? Cause you I- know, it's funny. So like my my name carries over from my from my grandmother. Mm-hmm. So that's my Bello's my grandmother's maiden name. I got you. And so the reason why I'm saying it this way is because my sister just got back her like ancestral ancestor DNA, whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we were always told that, you know, we had some Italian in there. Paperwork came back like no Italian, no Italian, no sorry. But all this Sardinian. Portuguese, it was like twenty nine percent Portuguese, twenty five percent Spanish. Like we, I, um, I have a ton of Iberian. I'm Puerto Rican. I have a shitload of Iberian. Well, same. Yeah. So I'm Puerto Rican, and yeah. so like it oh, was like cool. um, I have it on my phone. My sister, like we were just talking about this yesterday, but it was like all this uh, East African uh, yeah. influence. And, yeah, we have the same. Yeah, um, it was really interesting. Did you ever hear John Leguizamo? Yeah, this joke the, about the, like uh, Puerto Ricans are fifty percent uh, Spaniard, fifty percent Native American, twenty five percent Jewish. <laughs> Actually, yeah, there was a percent Jewish, and I was like, "Where did that come from?" <laughs> it um, just gets into like three hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> his math um, was really interesting during that show. But yeah, so it was twenty nine percent Portuguese, twenty four percent Spain, eleven percent Congo and Cameroon and South Batu peoples. I don't know that part and. That's something that's interesting because I started reading about Taino mm-hmm. Indians and stuff like that. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Um, that we got, we got a kick in about that, too, sometime. That I've done a lot of, like, my little research about that. Oh, nice. Yeah. It, it, I mean, so a lot of the words that came to define the Southwest United States for the first, you know, four or five hundred years of our existence as a post-colonial nation. Yeah. What do you associate? Like, hurricanes, tobacco, barbecue. Yeah. They're all Taino <laughs> words. Those are Taino words. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, right? That's um, really cool. It, words with like a lot of cuh sounds. Uh-huh. Hurricane, tobacco, uh, uh, barbecue, like barbaco. That's how they said it. Yeah, yeah, Like those are Taino words. That's our I people. I that. mean, that's our people, but we're not taught that, you know? Because I know a lot of a lot of what <clears throat> um, I've been uncovering from, from Puerto Rican tradition is really tied to the Philippines. And that's something that came about with some research that I did for a fashion show because I was like really intent on bringing like old sort of like tribal stories Mm -hmm. into like Mm -hmm. digital technology and I wanted to do that through fashion so it was a lot of just like you know like laser cut guayaberas and then like these like 3D printed like cookies that were like in the back of um, these like jumpsuits and things like that so I focused on Taino and then um, Filipino mostly because the people that brought me into that fashion show, most of the people that were running that were identified as Filipino. So yeah. I was like, wanted to give note to that. And there was like so much overlap that was crazy. And then started having more intentional conversation with my father about what, you know, what that looks like. Cause mm-hmm. he's a military guy. So he was able to give me some in-depth background as far as like, um, They're also both calling the war. Exactly. Colonies. And that happened at the same time with the yeah. Spanish war and everything. And so like, that was really interesting. Yeah. To kind of dive down that rabbit hole, and that's it's so funny to be here too because there's not many Puerto Ricans here, man. No, no. <laughs> so the cult, it just takes on a different light when you're. Yeah, in for this sure. Part. I mean, there's a lot of Central Americans here, but not not many. I mean, I know, I know two. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know three now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and one I don't know personally. I just know him through online and the fact that he has um, his restaurant, like his pop up restaurant. He's a Puerto Rican chef in oh, Seattle. Okay. Um, I know La Isla is a Puerto Rican. Uh, yeah, that spot for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, but I yeah. gotta ask you, but so from a fashion sense, because you have dabbled in there too. Oh yeah, so my whole business, like my whole um, Eficio mm-hmm. um, business, is all fashion. Right. So yeah. I'll do these intentional fashion shows that tell stories, not necessarily like here is 
the most gaudiest dress or the but it's like it's an intentional storytelling through art and fashion and a fashion show and then i'll do one-off products that are all like laser cut leather pieces so that's like backpacks wallets um wanna accessory line some suspenders clutch bags things like that yeah and those are and how, how does that speak to like your experience in seattle i mean how does seattle kind of influence all that um you know it's it's brought me up to my east coast grind I'll tell you that because there's really little support for the work that I want to do and the work that I feel like could be done as far as like supporting like smaller artists and small businesses and things like that. And so how Ifiso actually came out was me starting the makerspace, Soda Makerspace, and wanting to show that you can have a shelf ready product out of a makerspace because most times mm. when people think of those spaces, it's like, oh, a bunch of these like middle aged guys that are just like you know, dicking around with these machines and it's not really inclusive to POC, women, kids. It's always just like, like this glorified man cave of some sort. Right. Um, and there's no and hustle that there's no, you're right. People don't associate that like product exactly. to come out of it. Exactly. It's just like your, your, your hobby or something. Exactly. Yeah. So I wanted to show you can use these kind of spaces to run a full on business. And for mm -hmm. me, I was like leather, like that's like a good high quality product. So I just made these like little leather wallets and stuff like that, just mm -hmm. to like have as an example. And then orders just came kind of flooding in and mm -hmm. I was like teaching at the time. And then at home, I'd be sewing then laser cutting and then sewing and then teaching again and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that whole gives cycle. You the, gives you the, um, a little bit of freedom yeah. too when you're doing that. For sure. How's Efficio um, doing these days? It's great. So yeah. like that's why like we're going to be um, Efficio. I quit teaching at the public school level and I'm still doing some contracting teaching with like the library and other like small organizations. Mm -hmm. And now Efficio is like full time. So full time meaning um, right now I exist in three spaces. Um, my first space that I started off in the Bemis Arts Building, and then merging full time with Makerologist, I have, you know, the late like the laser cutters there, the three D printers are there, um, and then my sewing machine is there, uh, my industrial sewing machine, and that's where I do the bulk of my work. And then this new space that I'm opening this year um, is sort of more a way to corral just an array of artists who I feel like don't really know how these things and how these uh, art forms can sort of like overlap mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, so I want that space to kind of be a glue for that. Do you still have um, that emphasis on kind of getting the product out? Yeah, and Making that the, sure. the end goal? Yeah, get them um, paid? For sure, with, for sure with Makerologists. With Makerologists, um, we are, uh, we just had this really great event um, called Show Up that I organized. And that was intentionally collaborating with local community organizers like the station, Mm -hmm. an amplifier and impact hub and then i was able to um, get the space for free so i was able to bring in vendors and other like small like businesses and artists that could you know just benefit off of like all of us coming together and for me i wanted it to be mostly like a poc focused event oh that's awesome um i got vera project to sponsor some of the project or to sponsor that event and you know they were able to supply the PA system. Oh, that's they great. They were able to play, yeah, yeah, just play a musician it. there. Yeah. Like it was really great. And so like we want to do that more as sort of like a retail public classroom workshop mm -hmm. kind of space. Same idea as a makerspace, but I, I I'd say it's a little bit more tight knit where we want to only be working with professionals in a certain way. Mm -hmm. You know, like people who already have their business established. You like this is what they're doing full time, um, and less on supporting the tinker. Yeah. More on like the people who are full on business. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean as a um, as a full fledged tinkerer, I can I can relate. I mean, you know, we have the 
tool library here in Capitol Hill. It's, yeah, a, yeah, lot yeah. Of, it's a lot of tinker. I love it. But you need yeah. that space for that next that resource. For that next step, exactly. For that next step, yeah. Um, and tell, that's tell I, like, I like the tool library, though, really quick, just because yeah. tool library is part of the the mix of makerologists because we're in collaboration with the West Seattle Tool Library. Yeah. yeah. And I would say Micah has been super influential on like supporting us with all the equipment and resources that they have and like that kind of community collaboration and building I mm -hmm. think is really important when you can be intentional about it. Well that's a tool library is also like really the only sustainable urban model. Yeah. Like you can't really have a twenty first century city where everyone has a lawnmower and everyone has a saw. Yeah. Right. I mean, you need that centralized resource that that's a publicly available. And it's great because, you know, I know that you can politicize certain things, but this is not it's not like they're taxing anybody. It's yeah. all donor funded. It's all I mean, it's so that's a, it's that's all a volunteer. It's all volunteer. Yeah. yeah I volunteer sometimes. Plug it up, yeah. up at Capitol Hill. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> but um, hey, I want to talk about makerologists, just like the yeah. philosophy behind it and, and what yeah, you're yeah. trying to achieve there. Yeah, so Makerologist is sort of more like a, a, an agency in a way where, again, there's about 12 of us now under Makerologist, and we all have our own separate businesses. And then through Makerologist, we'll pool contracts that um, we can all collaborate and support each other. So, like, we'll get a contract, um, a contract from like Intel to do some sort of installation that's interactive for an event, like, let's say the Maker Fair or something like that. And um, we'll come together, sort of build something that really, I would say, takes down the anxiety of learning new stuff, mm -hmm. um, makes it more approachable and digestible, a lot of like this like tech stuff. So like we've done like a RoboCar Derby where um, within, you know, a small amount of time, you know, a group from six years old to 80 years old could be in that one group and build a, an autonomous car together. Mm -hmm. um, 3D printed parts, everything's like really like laid out and explained and everyone's working together. And at the end of it, you have like this, what seems to be this complicated piece of technology. You see like the, the barriers being broken as far mm -hmm. as like this technology is not just for the elite. We want to make sure that like technology stays in the hands of like the everyday person, which was like really important for me as a public school teacher. Yeah. So I got some really great funding for my classroom. And that's what the philosophy of my classroom was really about was industry standard. So with makerologists, we kind of do the same more like on in the community so you i think the website has you as like education makerologist right yeah, yeah, yeah. how does that kind of dovetail together um so for me like when you're able to break down and digest technical information i have a lot of background in teaching that way and developing curriculum and writing that out mm -hmm. you know even in my classroom i would take my curriculum and write a lot of things just in spanish so a lot of my you know, Spanish-speaking students could sort of still be engaged and involved with this technical language. Yeah. Um, and that's a challenge. I mean, that's technical Spanish is is very hard for me. It is. Because I started out of English, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. So, yeah. Um, and I didn't learn that. Like, I didn't learn any of my Spanish until I moved to Spain. And, like, that's yeah. where I got, again, like, I just knew conversational Spanish, which was fine. Mm -hmm. um, but then when it came to, you know, getting a, you know, a master's in robotic engineering and under <laughs> yeah. understanding in Barcelona, that, like, in right? Barcelona, yeah. like, so there's, you know, another, like, added level of education there that I was absorbing that I didn't realize was going to be so influential. So like doing that in the public school is really was really great, and I'm hoping we can do more of that work just, you know, in the community, like at Impact Hub. Maybe do more events at you know, we've done some stuff at Mopop. We've done. I want to do some more work with uh, the public library. Mm -hmm. I've even done just bringing kids at in. Sam and just yeah, just like bringing kids in and like having that just level of collaboration within the community. I feel like it's just fun. One, it's mm -hmm. just fun. Yeah. Two, if we can get sponsors, and it's like we're not. 
you know, dealing with the financial barrier of approaching these kind of classrooms and doing this kind of work, right? right. Yeah. But yeah, so Makerologist, I'm excited. Like right now we are growing in a direction of bring on more collaboration like i said like with like seattle made and possibly with you know impact hub mm-hmm. um, i love that spot that are, impact yeah. hub. they do good work down there yeah exactly and so where amplifier is we're hoping to um maybe move down there or just grow in impact hub in a way that allows for more events more workshops more classroom stuff where's the spot where's your spot your new spot uh my new spot is on first avenue first um, avenue down in that same area down in that same area okay. like right between maine and washington oh okay so that'll be you know we'll probably you know that space and makerologists be doing a lot of collaboration as far as like the making and sort of doing um, a lot of work that can come out of there but that space specifically will be really intentional community building mm-hmm. um, with artists of different disciplines mm-hmm. um, i was just talking to a friend of mine imana who is one of the key people in au collective which is like a dance company or a dance mm-hmm. collective really awesome i love working with them really great group of people and you know i was even like taking pictures of the space and i was like what would it be like for the space to support dancers like what do you guys need for that mm-hmm. um you know i talked to my friend who does you know yoga you know how can this space support maybe doing like a pop-up you know yoga situation where in this artist space there's different kinds of you know activity whether it's like pure entertainment you know music all that stuff but also like can we have like a health and wellness kind of like aspect to it where um you know there could be because like the space is huge and it's beautiful and it's like there's so much space for a lot of different activities mm-hmm. it's like right now this past week and all of next week is just pretty much having these intentional conversations on how we can all kind of be using that space mm-hmm. and how can that space be accessible that's like one of the big challenges of any like community at all like mm-hmm. a virtual artist community or just a city yeah is like how do we kind of create efficiency in how we use space without that efficiency driving out like the human element of just being yeah. in the space yeah, yeah right yeah so there's a lot that i want to do with that space um even doing stuff like this like these podcasts and things yeah. like that like, well we'll, I mean, we'll we'll do an episode down there yeah for sure Remind me down we'll do an episode. I, would, I would absolutely love that all right awesome man um, <laughs> you know i was just talking about how can we create more programs like the one i was doing in my school but like how can we be more intentional about letting that atmosphere spread mm-hmm. and have that be more contagious where again kids can just have free reign yep. um, when you give them that level of creativity and that level of ownership of a project they come in ready to go oh yeah they and come then, in and wanting they, to learn they, they come produce. in wanting to push themselves yeah they're like wait i want my product to look like this that means i have to learn this whatever i'll have to learn we'll it because i want to see i want to get to that point yeah i um, mean you motivate them that way and it's great and like i feel like a lot of that kind of education could be really influential in community spaces especially like being in pioneer square and like seeing all these like really just capable homeless people how can we maybe start building space that supports that kind of growth mm-hmm. and that kind of um skill building mm-hmm. that's awesome um, which is something makerologist wants to focus on for sure I, i'd love to hear more about what you're doing as you move as you move through that man yeah. we end every show with a segment that we call if you care about you should okay fill in the blanks if you care about public education, you should mentor. Mm. And I, not just as an individual, but specifically as a business, specifically if you know that you are in a line of work that you never saw people represented in that line of work that look like you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it is, it goes so far to walk into a classroom and to talk to kids that you know look like your younger self to be like, hey, 
I started here. This is where I'm at. This is how it happened. These are the possibilities. And just having that one-on-one conversation yeah. just goes so, so long. Yeah. Um, I was really intentional about making that an experience in my classroom where I had a maker symposium in a whole week. I invited industry professionals um, just to come in and demo and talk about the work that they do. Mm-hmm. And the kids are always, they just, they love that week. Yeah. Right. Like that stuff that sticks with them as an experience for so long. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think if you feel like you're someone who represents, you know, a rare demographic within your workspace, mm-hmm. share about how you even got to that space in the first place. Right um, and I don't think you need to be like a parent or a teacher or, you know, you can even, I remember a friend of mine, she was like, no, I'll be nervous. And I was like, perfect. Vulnerability. Come on in. Come on in. Like yeah. that's authentic Everybody has something reality. To get, yeah. 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 Cause it was just like really great. Like I even brought in like five of my friends that, you know, are all women and they are just doing really great things in Seattle. And I just wanted to have a discussion with my mm-hmm. classroom and just, you know, have them ask questions on like, you know, like, what do you do for work? And I know that all of them love the work that they're doing. So it was great that like their passion of what they do. And I was like, that's all you like. That's all you need. That's all that's you, all you yeah. Like you already love what you're doing and it was a lot of hard work to get there, but like you're going to show them that you're happy doing that work mm-hmm. and like it's fulfilling for you. Mm-hmm. That's what I want them to see. And that's what I want them to experience from a professional. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would be my... Great. That's awesome. I thought on that one. Gabrielle, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, for I sure. I appreciate it. Come on back. And you know what? I'm going to take you up. We're going to do an episode down in your new Please school. do. Yeah, gonna, I would absolutely love that. Like, that would be, that'd be amazing. That was Gabrielle Bello Diaz. Check out Makerologist Seattle, where he is Education Makerologist in Chief. Check out Inficio, his design and fashion line. Here in Seattle, support local artists, support Gabrielle Mandel because he's doing great work. Our sponsor today, as you know, is Happy High Achiever. Music by the Subcons, opening poetry sample by Anthony McPherson. This has been, as always, a Cascadia Underground production, and I'm your host, Ian Martinez. My favorite. We'll see you next week.